You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Future Tech Health podcast. I have uh, Stephen Collette from Your Healthy House, and the website is yourhealthyhouse.ca. Uh, Steve's passionate about buildings, and we're going to talk about how buildings work um, and all the details involved with them. So uh, good to meet you, Steve. Thanks for being here. Thanks a lot for having me, Richard. I really appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, I just came back from a trip to Europe, so uh, a lot of old, super interesting buildings were there. But uh, you know, tell me about your background. Why are you interested in buildings and what fascinates you about them? Yeah, I really like buildings. I'm I'm a total nerd. I'm a card-carrying building nerd for sure. I find what's fascinating about them is we simply, as a species, don't actually understand how they work very well. We, we think we do. We think we understand how they work. We don't actually understand it. And the more I learn about them, the more I'm confused at how they actually stand up themselves. So I think it's it's a deeper sure. topic that we simply don't take seriously. What do you mean when you say people don't understand buildings? Like, uh, I don't know. It seems pretty pretty simple and basic. Like, what are the things that you found that you thought you understood or knew and then turned out to be more nuanced or interesting than you first thought? I think in the homeowner market, I think, is <clears throat> is where we find the biggest concerns. Most people simply don't understand how to maintain their building properly, how to take care of their home, what to do if there is a problem. Most people, when we look at our homes or look at buying a home, we look at what color is the walls, you know, how good is the carpet? Um, Are the cabinets updated? We don't really look at, wow, is there potential for water to come in? Is the basement leaking? Is there, um, you know, cell phone towers nearby that we may be sensitive to, or there brand new chemicals off-gassing in here. We don't really take into consideration the fact that although our homes are, are our castles, they can, in fact, also make us really sick. That's true. I've heard of reports of black mold, um, you know, obviously fires, collapses, all kinds of stuff like that. So do you focus more on uh, residential homes or do you deal with commercial stuff? Yeah, I do some light commercial, but for the most part, I do focus on the residential market. There are environmental consultants specializing in industrial and commercial and, you know, the big schools and whatnot. But oddly enough, there's very few environmental consultants specializing in making our homes healthy, which is unfortunate because we spend a great deal of time in them, raise our children in them, and and we need them to be as healthy as possible because we do spend a significant amount of time in our homes and, and inside as a whole, you know, the, the classic EPA uh, numbers of that we spend 90% of our time inside. It, it's a huge number. 
and at home with young families, especially, and retired people, uh, that's where our immune systems uh, need all the help they can get. So what, uh, what's your role? You, do you just study uh, environmental conditions in homes, or do you advise homeowners, or do you advise companies? Do you do lead certification? Like, what, What's your role? Yeah. So um, as I said, I'm a nerd on many levels. So I'm a building biologist, which is a German school of thought, looks at the built environment, how it interacts and impacts occupant and environmental health. So the Germans were kind of green and healthy before anyone else even knew about it. And this came out in post-World War II. The Germans had to build a lot of homes because they had been destroyed from the war. And what happened was they built crappy houses because they just, they needed them quickly. And by the 1960s, doctors were associating illness with these neighborhoods. And they did something very German, which was figure out the problem. So architects and doctors and city planners and public health all came together and they realized that poor construction can make people sick. Uh, so one of the outcomes was a school was started in Europe, in Germany. And that came over to uh, North America over 30 years ago. And, uh, and I'm one of the graduates, now one of the instructors. So building, I'm a building biologist. I'm also a building scientist. So looking at how buildings work and how they fail. Um, I'm a lead uh, consultant, so I do sustainable uh, you know, consulting as well. And I used to build straw bale homes and natural building consulting. And I'm also a heritage professional, so I work with older buildings as well. So I get called in to help people in their existing homes for the most part. I'll do a lot of insurance work with losses. And that's where I get to see the catastrophic failures, the really serious when things go bad. Um, and by seeing those, you can work backwards to realize and locate where the potential concerns could rise up and rear their ugly moldy heads. Yeah, I would think the biggest concern would be proper ventilation in a home and getting a good fraction of fresh air. I think one thing I hate growing up is, you know, you used to be able to open the windows everywhere, commercial buildings and home. And now a lot of them are fixed. And, you know, we like to open the doors and windows at least once a day, you know, for some fresh air instead of keeping it closed up all the time. Well, that's a great observation, Richard. And you're right. We used to open our windows more. And that's partially due to the construction. And it's partially due to our operation. When we grew up, when I grew up, my mom was home, you know, typically more commonly it was one income families. And so someone was there operating and managing the building. You know, my mom would open the windows when it was nice, close them when it wasn't, close the curtains when it was really hot. She was a building operator and manager. Nowadays, we can't afford, most of us can't afford one income stream. Everybody's out working. And so we don't have that operation anymore. And we don't have that taking care of and fresh air. And we have to go to the default, which is now more mechanical systems with a heat recovery ventilator or an energy recovery ventilator, mechanical ventilation. And it's really unfortunate. We're, I did a home where their bathroom window frame was completely rotted out. And I, they've been in this home for 13 years. And I said, when was the last time you opened the window? And I said, we've never opened the windows in this house ever. And I was just oh, flabbergasted. I think that's pretty common. I, I wouldn't say that that's a, that's a rarity, you know, unfortunately. But what, what happens if you, I mean, what happens in a home? What can build up and what, how is the air quality different inside a building or a home versus outside? What are the differences you've seen? Buildings fail 
um, in two ways. They fail from the building itself, and that is typically water-related. So that could be water, uh, rainwater getting in, snow getting in, depending on your climate. Um, it could be uh, groundwater getting in. So something falling from the sky or something rising up from the ground. Um, that's the most common way buildings fail and impact occupant health. That water leads to the potential for mold growth. So water is the cause, mold is the effect. When we're looking at the occupant, the second uh, major indoor environmental issue, it's the occupant related. And they're typically bringing junk in, toxics and chemicals that they don't realize are actually really harmful to them and their family. And they're bringing them in because they see them on TV and they see them in the aisle at the shopping store and they're nice and shiny and new and supposedly amazing, easy solutions for them. And those are oftentimes really chemical-laden issues. Yeah. You mean cleaners and things like that? Or what, what are some examples of things? Yeah, cleaning products would be your your first and foremost uh, really serious indoor air quality issue. There's not lemons in that cleaning product. There's not uh, mountain spring air crammed in that can. Um, they're petroleum-based synthetics. You can have in a in an air freshener over 120 volatile organic compounds, unstable petroleums that are jammed into these. And you wouldn't really go outside and wrap your lips around an exhaust pipe on a car anytime soon because the, you know the chemicals are bad. Yet because these ones smell fluffy and lovely, we bring them into our homes. But chemically, they're really similar. So again, what have you observed in terms of numbers or percentages of how the air quality starts to differ inside someone's home and, you know, over time? Yeah, I've been doing this for about 15 years. I've done about well over 3,000 environmental inspections, so I've seen a lot. I, I think there's a real separation of those who are real consumers, those who are praying to the advertising gods that uh, bombard us on every device that we use and trying these products. And those people inadvertently are increasing their body burden. So I think, a, um, I guess an example, uh, you can imagine yourself as a, as a rain barrel. And through our lives, our bodies are exposed to different things. And the rain barrel fills up and it empties. And that could be, you know, motor oil, paint in the bathroom, dog hair, um, pollen, uh, all these different allergens and toxins within every, everyone's life. And some of us, uh, so what happens is sometimes our body can't process it fast enough. And so we get to the top and then we're exposed to one more thing in our body that rain barrel spills over. And that's illness. And you're like, oh, I'm sensitive to this or allergic to that. It's true, but your body's actually full of junk and, in a, and has no capacity to, to process it. And so this is a Dr. William Ray from Dallas, Texas. This is his analogy, and it's a great one. And so what I try to do is lower people's daily burden. So if I can clean up the chemicals and help you clean up the chemicals in your house, show you where the potential for mold is, help you manage, you know, particulates, electromagnetics, chemicals, and biologicals, the more I can reduce your daily burden, the greater potential you have for health, right? I'm giving you a greater buffering mechanism. And then, you know, like some of the other 
people you've had on your podcast, you know, then, you know, those gut microbiome and, and amazing stuff like that, th- then there's that opportunity for health, right? If they're, if the body's bombarded by exterior exposures in our homes, then the positive uh, microbiome can't thrive, right? Because it's too busy fighting the bad guys, right? It's too busy fighting ill health. So by creating a, a healthier environment, you and your microbiome, you know, along with everything else going on, has a much better chance of, of thriving. So what's an example when you go into a home, what will you do? What's a typical audit involve and what kind of actions have you taken in the past? Yeah, a typical healthy house inspection is going to take three, four hours. We're going to walk around together. Um, it's really important that the homeowners are with me because uh, I have questions. And the more they can answer about how they use the space, the more I can help them. But also, we don't, we're not taught how to use our homes. We're not taught when to change the furnace filter. We're not taught how often to clean the ductwork. You know, in high school, we didn't learn how to do our taxes or take care of our house, two useful things high school could have done for us. Um, and so it's a lot of education. And and I work with all all types of people, you know, all incomes, all ethnicities, all diversities. It doesn't matter. Um, we simply don't understand our homes. And so by walking them through, explaining how the building physics works, how hot air rises, how air moves, how moisture moves, how thermal energy moves. By understanding some basic physics, really simple stuff, nothing complex, but understanding how hot air rises and how that affects our home, I can empower them to make changes. I don't want to come in and just tell them, do this, do this, do that. What I really try to do is educate them so that they can understand wow, that's a really good idea. I understand the rationale and I understand the basic science to empower myself to make changes. You know, any monkey can come in and take an air sample. That's not difficult. But to be able to educate the homeowner and empower people and even tenants, it's not just homeowners. We all want to live healthy. And so, you know, I could, a typical healthy house inspection might take three, four hours. If I didn't have to talk to anybody, I could probably do it in 20 minutes, but that's not benefiting them. That's not empowering them and helping them move forward. So it's really important in the education. Well, again, what are some of the specific recommendations you've given to people and maybe tie that back to the science? Yeah, just a few. Sure. Sure. So a classic. So I live in a cold climate. I'm in Canada. Um, and so <clears throat> we understand how chimneys work. Hot air rises. And so... Um, the taller the house, if you have a two-story house and a basement, um, that's a very tall column. And our attic hatches are, in fact, outside doors. For most of us, the attic leads into an unconditioned space. And for most of us, our attic hatch is a piece of plywood sitting in the sitting on the ceiling in your closet upstairs. Versus your front door is an insulated, airtight latched entity to keep the winter out of the house. But at the top of our chimney, I got a piece of plywood, not airtight. And so we are bleeding energy in cubic meters per hour. On an average home in a cold climate in Ontario, um, in an average month, it's an incredible amount of air leaving And that's our heating dollars, of course. But for every cubic meter of air that leaves, there's a cubic meter of air that comes in. 
And that's going to come through the cracks and the crevices. That's going to come through your dirty basement walls and along your rim joist where the concrete stops and the wood starts. And those are really filthy places. So we're pulling in dirty air. In the wintertime, it's very dry air in a cold climate. And so then we've got like respiratory issues. We've got particulate that it's an irritant. We've got heat loss. That hot, moist air is also going to condense up in your attic and turn into liquid or even frost. And it'll actually freeze on the bottom of your roof deck and you'll see little icicles. And in the springtime, it'll rain, which is super cool for, you know, me, a nerd. But it's pretty terrible for the average homeowner to have their attic raining. And that compresses the insulation. And so this is, this is a huge thing just because we didn't seal our attic hatch. And it's going to take you longer to get a chair and to move the boxes than it is to get up into that attic hatch and seal it with tape or caulk or double-sided foam gaskets and a couple eyelatches. So that simple trick and that simple um, detail affects probably 90% of the homes across North America. Well, all right. I've seen some homes that are, I guess, LEED certified or they're supposed to be environmentally sound and they're all sealed up and they seem to me far worse than old homes that may breathe a lot. I mean, what's your, uh, what's your thoughts there? Is the new construction methods and this button tight, nothing leaks, ultra efficient home better or worse? Yeah. Excellent question. Um, I'm, I personally lean towards older homes um, from a health perspective. New homes can be healthy when all the details are done properly, all the equipment's installed properly, all the equipment is balanced, and the homeowners understand it implicitly and know how to use it. The challenge is most of those never happen. There's a fault in all, in that chain in almost every single time. We also have a lot more newer products, newer chemicals. Um, we're not using solid trees and lumber like we used to. Now we're using manufactured and engineered lumber and and materials. And that's fine. We're not cutting down the trees we used to, which is important. But they all have glues and solvents in them. And so the tighter the home, the more chemicals are present and the harder it is for them to off-gas. So it takes longer for them to get out of the house because we're not opening windows, because we're relying on the mechanicals. The older homes, you know, anything older than World War II, 1950s, 1940s, and and back, what you're going to see is solid lumber, solid materials, some drywall, plaster, solid wood. Um, cabinets are going to be made out of uh, more... Uh, plywoods than particle boards. So you're going to see a difference. Now, as you go back a hundred years, you're going to see a lot more dust issues. So an older, a really old home, a century home is going to have a lot of dust issues. They're not insurmountable. Neither is a new home, but we don't think about these. You know, you think about it. I think that's great. Um, You're a novelty in my world. Most of us just want the sparkly new house, you know, and they don't think about, oh, they're kind of smells in here, that new car smell, you know? Um, some people actually like that. You can buy the air freshener at the, you know, at the Home Depot and hang a new car smell because you're not getting enough chemicals in your daily drive to work. But we need to realize that clean doesn't have an odor. And these chemicals 
in newer homes are impacting our brains and, and our health for sure. Well, all right. So you said that, for instance, if an attic is not sealed and you're pulling air from, uh, you know, bad places in the house, but then you're saying if everything is too sealed, it's no good either. So uh, what's the happy medium here? <laughs> yeah, for sure. It right? Yeah. It's really difficult to get an old house really airtight. It'll never be perfect. Um, it takes a great deal of effort and uh, time and labor to make that happen. So there's still going to be air movement. I want you to think about your home as a as a colander, right? And as we approach the physics, the more I can contain that vessel, the more I can seal those holes, the better control I have over it. The better control I have over uh, that home, the easier it is to clean, right? And so oftentimes when we're thinking about indoor air quality strategies, we jump right to clean. And if you're trying to clean basically the entire outside because it's moving through your house in cubic meters per hour, you're wasting your effort and money. So we want to contain the vessel as best as we can. And then once it's contained, then we can control it mechanically and, and think about managing it. And then it's significantly easier to clean. So again, well, yeah, dumb it down, the, keep the it simple. Spot is to, so the sweet spot is to, as long as everything is off gas, then seal up a home? Or yeah, for sure. Home or yes, I agree. Or not, or... Yeah, yeah. You're great at this. You should come work for me. <laughs> well, just You're absolutely correct. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it, it just seems contradictory on what to do. It can, and, and it is a balance. Um, it is a balance. Most of my inspections, most of my work is with existing building stock. Um, so rarely do I get called into new construction. I have, and I've done it. But typically speaking, it's existing building stock. And that building stock's important because most of us live in it. And when we start looking at uh, like the carbon economy and trying to make things... Uh, energy efficient and, you know, energy reductions by 80%, you know, by 2050, you know, some numbers bantered around are like 80% of the building stock in 2030 exists right now. And so we have to make these homes more airtight to meet, to save energy, but we have to do it wisely and we have to do it thoughtfully and the homeowners have to be educated. Most homeowners simply don't know how they're how to properly operate their their ventilation systems. They're not taught. And and that trick alone, that five minutes, um, would make a huge difference in making people more comfortable and healthy in their homes. Okay. Yeah, you're getting a little soft by the way, if you can speak up. Um sure. How long does it take for a, a, a home to off gas? Depends on what's being used. Yeah, I paint a wall or I put a new carpet or, you know, what are ballpark times for all these things? What's a good practice if I uh, do something in my house and paint a wall, sure. a carpet, rip out a carpet? That kind of thing? Yeah, so you want to pick the healthiest building materials you can afford. And some of them are very, are the exact same price point. So it's not costing you any upgrade. You can pick a zero VOC paint or a zero V with zero VOC tints for no price difference. Um, uh, I don't get paid by them, uh, but Benjamin Moore's Natura and Benjamin Moore's Aura paints are really great. There's better paints that are more expensive, but off the shelf for the same price point, they're zero VOC and that's a great option. So there's always simple solutions. And then we want to make, 
when we talk about time frame for off-gassing. Yeah, it depends. The chemicals are so varied uh, within manufacturers. Um, it could be for paint. Theoretically, it's not fully cured, you know, 30 days. So you could have some off-gassing, but paint's going to be a couple days for 90% of the odor. Um, you're going to see uh, carpets are going to, especially in a damp basement or on a slab foundation, they're going to be, um, uh, the, the more moisture, the, uh, odor is going to be there a lot longer cabinetry. They can be off gassing without you smelling them. So formaldehyde is a, uh, is odor free, but, uh, does impact a lot of people. And you may not realize that that's the problem. You may just have a niggling headache or a you know, some little brain fog and not really figuring out what's going on and associating it with um, an actual uh, cause and source. And sometimes that's what I get called in for is to is to figure out what's making them ill. Um, but I think the power of the internet is is the ability to search out healthier building materials. And there are green building supply companies across North America um, who are happy to help. And they're great places to start and to learn the language of, of what is available and what's healthier. Um, if there's someone close, great, go have a look. Um, have them send some samples. If not, you've got a language to go talk to your local suppliers and see what they have. And if you need help, then you know a building biologist obviously is, can help you source those materials. But it depends because we're all different. You know, when we talk about some of the, the brain chemistry and neuroscience that that, that have been people uh, talking on this podcast, our brain chemistry is, is all unique. And so some people are sublimely sensitive, uh, exquisitely sensitive to certain things. I had one client react to the polyethylene screens on her south-facing window when the sun hit them. Remarkably rare. But that was the problem. It took me a while to figure it out, and we switched them out for metal, and she was fine. And some people can work in the worst conditions and not be affected whatsoever. And so this becomes really hard because oftentimes within a home environment, one person will be more sensitive than the other. And that can lead to real uh, conflict. Uh, you know, a wife may be more sensitive than the husband and he thinks she's crazy and she's totally reacting. And and so it's hard to figure that out. So everybody's different. That's that's a problem. Well, when do you get called in? How do people even know that you exist? And what you do exist? And when do they call you in? For what problems? The bulk of my work is uh, for indoor environmental inspections is with insurance companies. So I get called in for disasters. So when your hot water tank let go, when your roof fell off, um, when there's no potential asbestos or mold in the building or chemical, real chemical issues that we can't figure out. Um, homeowners find me through a network, um, through, you know, just being in the business and, and being in the environmental uh, green uh, sort of network in my area. So uh, marketing and doing talks and a lot of, you know, public service in the beginning and just educating people and empowering people and uh, word of mouth. Um, I don't have to do a lot of advertising because uh, I guess if you offer great service to clients, then, then they're happy to share your name and, uh, and most of my clients come referred, so I'm very grateful for that. It's taken a while, but uh, but again, if if people don't have a disaster, what yep. kind of problems might they experience where they would need your help? 
Yeah, typically it's health related. So my two main client bases are going to be retired families and uh, young couples starting a family. Those two age brackets are willing to pay for their health. Those of us in the middle, I'm simply too tired. <laughs> it has to be serious, right? Because I got to get kids to circus and I got to get kids to soccer and I got to, and, 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 right? But those starting a family and those retired, they have time to think about their health. And those those are typically the ones that call me because they think there might be a problem with their house. And so they'll reach out to me. Older people still find me in the yellow pages. Um, and younger people, it's Google for sure. So, um, so targeting those, those two markets, um, that's how they reach out to me. And that's how, uh, that's how I find the work. Yeah. Okay. Well, very good. So what's the best way for listeners to uh, find out more, to find you and evaluate if they have an issue? Yeah. Well, I appreciate that opportunity. My website is your healthy house. .ca. I am in Canada. So it's your healthy house.ca. Um, my bio's on there. There's lots of uh, articles I've written. Um, I'm starting a podcast next month in uh, September, so I'm ex excited about oh. that. Um, and uh, yeah, that's the best way. Lots of free information on that website because I try to, again to educate and empower people from the website so that they can learn more. So yeah. Okay. Well, very good. Well, Steve, thank you for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate the opportunity and uh, it's a great podcast. I've been listening to it and really enjoy it. You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you.